I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. and welcome to another episode of Chordscast. I'm Alyssa Mendel, and today I have joining with me the Milan Syndrome Foundation. There's a couple key people that I want to introduce everyone to this morning. Uh, first, I have Crystal Delagrammaticus with us, and then I have Dr. Richard Gronostyski with us. And they're going to share a little bit more about the Milan Syndrome Foundation, research that's going into Milan Syndrome, and a little bit more about the registry. So to get us started, Crystal, do you want to just introduce yourself to us and a little bit, share a little bit more about you? Yes. Hi, Alyssa, uh, and thank you for inviting me to do this podcast uh, to tell you a little bit more about Milan Syndrome and the foundation that was started uh, recently to bring more awareness to this rare genetic disorder. Um, so I uh, came into the rare disease community after my son was uh, diagnosed with Milan in early 2018. Um, my husband and I were totally thrown off and and really didn't know where to turn. Uh, there was very little information given to us by uh, the geneticist and the genetic counselor. It was basically the little information that they could find on uh, the internet and their databases. Um, and so my husband and I, when we got home, my husband's first thought was to search the internet um, to see if there are any support groups. And, and my first thought was to, as someone coming from an academic background, was to search the literature. And my husband was fortunately uh, lucky enough to come up with a parent support group on Facebook, which was uh, a great find. And I was able to find, a, you know, 10 to 15 papers uh, related to Milan syndrome or SOTOS2, as the syndrome was originally referred to as. And um, I also found papers on NF1X, quite a few. And um, one name that kept turning up over and over again was uh, Dr. Gronostajski's uh, research. Um, and it was interesting because at the time we were living in New York and Rich uh, Gronostajski was the university, State University of New York, Buffalo. And um, 
So one of the first things that I did was email him. He was very responsive. And so Dr. Granisovsky started this journey off with me very early on when there were so few resources available for the Milan syndrome community. Um, and I had this idea of starting a foundation to, to um, improve resources for the community to further look into um, providing support for research. So uh, going, going forward uh, through this closed Facebook group that my husband found, I was able to connect with a community um, and identify uh, other parents that were also interested in forming a, a formal organization. So that's kind of how I came into the rare disease community and trying to become a little more involved in, in helping to organize to further the understanding of Milan syndrome. Wow, Crystal, thank you for sharing that with us. It seems like you've been on quite the journey. You had mentioned that you got connected early on to Dr. Rich Gronostaisky, and we have Rich on the uh, the episode with us today. So, Rich, could you just share a little bit more about yourself and how did you get involved in researching Milan syndrome? It's I think that uh, outreach by uh, research scientists to the general public is a very important part of our uh, of our uh, job description. And uh, I must say that um, I only became involved with Milan syndrome. Uh, after really being contacted by Crystal as a uh, as a parent of a of a a, a child who uh, has Milan syndrome, um, I'm the here at the University at Buffalo, uh, the State University of New York at Buffalo. I'm the director of the Genetics, Genomics, and Bioinformatics Graduate Program, which is a new graduate program which includes a component of human genetics in it, and uh, when. I've been working on the nuclear factor one family of, of proteins uh, for about 35 years now. And all of the work that I did, that I've done up till now, has been really basic science and trying to understand what these proteins do during normal brain development. And in uh, 2008, we published a paper where we um, knocked out one of the genes for a nuclear factor one family member, and that's called nuclear factor one X. And we knocked that gene out in mice and showed that it had very severe defects. Mice that were missing two copies of the gene had very severe defects in brain development. And we continued to work on this gene for, for a number of years. Then in, in 2010, uh, Dr. Milan, uh, published a paper where he showed, uh, where she showed that the uh, causative mutations for uh, two diseases, Milan syndrome, uh, which at that time was called Soto's type 2 syndrome, and Marshall-Smith syndrome, um, were both, uh, that causative mutations in the nuclear factor 1X gene were causative for both of these, uh, of these human syndromes. And it was really the first identification that this gene that I was working on in the mouse um, has uh, uh, an important role in a normal uh, human development and that there are individuals uh, that are suffering from having mutations in these, uh, in these genes. And so I began to follow uh, the uh, Milan syndrome field 
uh, in in around 2010 and wasn't terribly uh, uh, involved in it until Crystal uh, contacted me. Uh, and when I found that there was a, uh, a parent support group and a foundation that was interested in knowing more about uh, about nuclear factor 1X and how it contributes to brain development, particularly in the context of their uh, affected children, uh, I decided it would really be uh, uh, good for me to participate in this and to try to help in any way I can to support this foundation and to support really uh, rare diseases in general because I think as your your audience probably knows we we talk about rare diseases but in reality rare diseases aren't rare uh, if you look at the total number of rare diseases it should, it's a huge uh, fraction of our uh, of our uh, disease load particularly when it comes to uh, children who were diagnosed with uh, with conditions and so it was really at crystal's uh, a behest that I began to uh, think more about how I could contribute to research into uh, rare diseases. Wow, I think that is so cool, Rich, that you, just how you kind of fell into helping out with the Milan Syndrome Foundation. There needs to be more researchers out there like you. I, I love hearing that. And thank you for sharing a little bit about the science behind that, too. So, Rich, Crystal, could either of you tell me a little bit more about Milan syndrome? What is it? What are the symptoms that go along with it? Milan syndrome is, uh, it's rare. Uh, we have currently around 150 individuals worldwide that have been given a genetic diagnosis of Milan. Um, it's likely that those numbers will go up as um there's improved access to genetic testing. Uh, we don't think it's as rare as it, it seems at the moment. Um, it is a, uh, a neurodevelopmental and overgrowth disorder. And, and so what that means is that individuals with Milan tend to grow rapidly during childhood and they are rather tall compared to their typical peers and they're slender. Um, they have large head sizes, uh, which is called macrocephaly. Some children even have hydrocephalus, uh, water on, on the brain, and also um, Chiari malformation um, is also associated with with Milan syndrome and Chiari malformation is when the brain tissue protrudes into the spinal canal. Uh, so some children early on have to have invasive procedures done to correct these conditions. Um, many, if not all Milan individuals have some degree of intellectual disability and that ranges from mild to severe with many of the children falling in the moderate to severe range. Um, vision and hearing impairment comes along with Milan, as well as skeletal anomalies, uh, curvature of the spine. They're in about 30% of the population. Uh, individuals uh, are diagnosed with epilepsy. And then there's quite a few behavioral challenges as well. Uh, individuals with Milan tend to have high levels of anxiety and some are even diagnosed with autism um, they're 
tends to be quite a few autistic like traits associated with Milan. Yeah, am I right to assume, Rich, that this is a complex and multi-system rare condition? It's a disease that has a complex phenotype. That is, the uh, the the challenges that these children are uh, dealt uh, are 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 many. Children missing one copy mm. or one uh, having only one good copy instead of two good copies of this uh, gene that that I talked about earlier called a nuclear factor one X. So these are uh, each of these uh, children have mutations in this gene, and one of the difficulties of this type of disease is that almost virtually all of the patients are what we call new mutations. Mm -hmm. That is, neither of the parents have this mutation in their own mm -hmm. genome, but this is a mutation that somehow uh, uh, somehow occurred um, uh, in either the oocytes of the mother or the sperm spermatozoa of the father, so that uh, the child suffers from the disease. And so in that case, a genetic testing of the parents doesn't really do any any good. Uh, it's really only through uh, a genetic testing or uh, genetic uh, genotyping of the, of, the, of the infant that we can discover that they have this disease. And as, as Crystal mentioned, it's a, it's a complicated disease. And I think she's in, a, in, the, in the best position to tell you how frustrating it can be for parents who they, they know there's something, uh, there's something wrong with their child and they want to do something about it, but they, it takes them sometimes years before they get a, an appropriate diagnosis of what's actually wrong with their child because uh, whole genome sequencing or even whole exon sequencing, which are the, uh, the two uh, diagnostic uh, uh, things that would be able to uh, tell you what's causing the disease, are generally not uh, performed as, a, uh, as an early step in the diagnosis of uh, childhood diseases. Well, thank you for breaking that down uh, to help me to better understand. That makes it's, it's really interesting what you just talked about. And this too, I want to jump back a little bit. Crystal, can you tell me how was the Milan Syndrome Foundation founded and when was it founded? Yeah, so the Milan Syndrome Foundation was established in late 2018. Um, it was uh, established in the state of New Jersey by uh, four moms, all with children diagnosed with Milan syndrome. Uh, the our children are range between the ages of two and ten now, with my son being the oldest. Um, and we basically just formed a committee through the closed uh, parent support group on Facebook and started having several monthly conversations. Would we all be interested in combining our resources to work together and starting a foundation? Mind you, none of us come from a background in nonprofits. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, but we knew we just wanted to help our, help our children and help others on the same journey that we were on. And then helping future uh, families coming into this and providing them with a foundation of support and guidance because it can be so overwhelming to to families to get um, 
a genetic diagnosis, especially when it's so rare and there's so little known about how the disorder will um, progress in our children into adulthood. So, so what advice do you give parents or patients who have received a diagnosis? So when parents reach out to us, uh, they're happy that there, there is a foundation where there's some information. We have um, one of the first things that we did as an organization was develop a website. We also created a public Facebook page because social media is so important and being visible. Uh, a lot of people will search the internet and those social media sites are what pops up. When families are coming in, they're just happy to, to find some kind of organized support. And uh, we tell them just to, to listen, to listen to other people's stories, um, mm-hmm. to share their own story, even though sharing your own story is hard because you feel vulnerable. A lot of times you wanna keep those those emotional stories private, but it's important to share because you're going to touch another family in some way or, or form and, and your your story is powerful uh, in helping people in this along this journey uh, because it is such an emotional one. So a lot of families will get involved with our foundation. Some of them are very active and participating and sharing and then we also have people that really just listen and they don't share much which is fine too um and you know our community is small we only have um about 80 families that are active with our foundation uh, but we are growing so we're 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 kind of taking a very personal approach to growing this foundation. We want it to be meaningful for, for families. And we have our first um, family and scientific engagement conference coming up in May, which is a huge for our community. This will be the largest gathering of Milan families ever. And we'll have um, families coming from around the world and to meet and to connect with one another and with researchers and um, healthcare professionals interested in in Milan syndrome. So I guess to make a long story short, we just advise families to to get involved in in some way, whether it be just by joining and sharing and listening um, and then just helping to educate and increase awareness in their communities. Yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head. You know, there's so much power in healing when we share our stories. Mm-hmm. Rich, as a researcher, what is something a patient or family could do who has Milan syndrome? What is helpful for you to further your studies? Well, I think uh, as as Crystal brought up. Uh, one of the most important things is to become part of the uh, of the family registry, so that uh, in the future, when we're trying to um, when we're trying to obtain uh, samples from patients uh, with Milan syndrome, uh, we can find out uh, the more patients that we have on the patient registry who are willing to uh, participate and perhaps have a, a blood draw from their child. Um, that could be used to perhaps create a cell line that could be used to uh, study 
the uh, what what is uh, what goes wrong when we are uh, when human cells are missing uh, one of the nuclear factor one X genes. I think that that is something that is uh, that I would uh, recommend for uh, for all. Uh, uh, families to participate if they're comfortable uh, in doing so. As Crystal said, it's something that is a, it's a decision that needs to be made uh, by each individual family based on what they think will be, will be best for their child. And uh, one doesn't want to put any undue pressure on anyone to, to participate if it's not something that they feel would be, uh, would be useful for them. But I think for the, uh, for the scientific investigation of the disease, the more patients that we have and the more patients that are involved in the, uh, in the Milan Syndrome Foundation community, uh, the, the, the better off, the, the faster the research will go and, and more things can be uh, done. In addition, the, the larger the foundation grows, the uh, better the likelihood is that uh, funding for studying the disease will, uh, will become more available. As, as, you, as you know from, uh, from your CORDS uh, program, uh, funding for rare diseases is not uh, at, a, at an extremely high level. It's not nearly as high as it is for some other diseases. And we all recognize, I think, both the families and the scientific community that that money needs to be put where it can be uh, do the most good for the most people. But uh, there are also, the NIH has recognized this concept of orphan diseases, diseases that simply don't get enough attention um, because they, they do cause uh, loss of uh, quality of life for many patients. And uh, the more people that we can have to be involved in the uh, Milan Syndrome Foundation, higher the likelihood that we'll be able to um, do research in this area and uh, and and hopefully find some therapies that can be useful for these uh, for these patients in the future. That was really well put, Rich. I agree with that. And for those of you listening, Rich is referring to the Cords Registry, where the Milan Syndrome Foundation has partnered with Sanford Cords, and we've created. Well, the Milan Syndrome has created a condition-specific questionnaire for Milan Syndrome that asks those detailed questions that help researchers out like Rich and also help locate where participants live. Uh, Crystal, do you have anything you want to add for that? Yeah, so we've, um, when we started off with the foundation in, in uh, late 2018, we, we, reached out to Sanford Courts to learn more about their uh, patient registry and how we would go about developing one. We knew this would be critical for our community. We wanted to make sure that we had a registry available uh, for, for starting uh, clinical trials. So um, we worked along with Sanford Courts to develop a disease-specific questionnaire where we capture an individual's history of symptoms and treatments and outcomes, and uh, this is useful for researchers uh, uh, to analyze this information provided by the families and learn more about which treatments seem to work best in certain uh, situations and to gain a better understanding of how the, the syndrome looks as a factor of age. So we have a good idea because in uh, 
childhood presentation of symptoms for Milan syndrome because those that's the population that is getting genetic testing done. We're missing a huge part of our population in, in adults. Uh, those patients just haven't been identified. And so we maybe have about a handful of adults that we are aware of that have a diagnosis of Milan syndrome. So it's really critical as we move forward that um, families participate in their patient registry so that going forward, we have a good solid uh, database uh, for, for Milan syndrome. And hopefully as the community grows, we will have a better understanding of what this syndrome looks like in the adult population as well. Yeah, and for those of you listening, if you know someone or if you yourself or have a child, you can go on sanfordresearch.org and search for rare disease registry or cords registry to enroll in the cords registry and to answer those questions created by the Milan Syndrome Foundation. We're getting to the point of wrapping up here. Rich, Crystal, are there some last-minute call to action items that you want people to be aware of. Where could they get more info, Crystal, too? Like, where is your website? Yes. So we have a, a website. It's uh, milansyndrome.org. And uh, it's an updated website. We're actively um, adding new information. So we encourage our families to go to go there. Um, and, and also, we have a very active public Facebook page uh, where we make announcements and share. We sh- every Monday we have a feature, well, not every Monday, but when we have a family that's willing to share their story, we have what is called Milan Mondays, <laughs> where we feature a child's story. Um, and, you know, these have been uh, very helpful to many of our families to search back through the 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 feed and read about these um, the children's stories. So yes, the foundation website is a good source of information, and and like I said, we have an upcoming uh, family conference, family and scientific conference in May in uh, Clark, New Jersey. Uh, registration is open, and uh, the disease specific questionnaire for the the patient registry became available. Uh, a few months ago. And so we are highly encouraging our families to go and enroll and complete these questions. If that's the only thing that, that they, if they want to contribute, that's the best way to contribute at this point is to um, participate in the patient registry for research and for improving patient care for, for our community. Yeah, yeah. Rich, any last-minute thoughts from you today? The more patients that we can have that are registered, and if we can uh, uh, analyze the genetic testing results from these families, we may be able to find other genes that influence the severity of uh, Milan syndrome and and possibly uh, have uh, therapies that would uh, affect those genes and, and thereby uh, influence the uh, severity of the phenotype in, in patients. So uh, really, uh, my, my strongest recommendation is that uh, parents participate in the registry if they, uh, if they feel comfortable with it and that they share 
with all uh, medical privacy, uh, the genotyping information on their uh, on their uh, child, so that we can come try to come to a better understanding of all of the factors that might be influencing the uh, severity of Milan syndrome in different uh, in different children. That's some really solid advice there, Rich, and I, again, appreciate so much how you break it down in explaining what's going on and what helps you, too, as a researcher. I just want to thank you both again for jumping on and joining us for an episode of Cordscast. I've appreciated the time you've both taken to share with us more about what Milan syndrome is and what people can do to help contribute. Well, it's been a pleasure participating, and uh, it's been an honor uh, to be involved with the Milan Syndrome Foundation, and and I hope to be able to continue that uh, uh, into the future. Thank you, Alyssa. I've enjoyed uh, having this conversation with you and and um, Dr. Granostajski and Ford to uh, to growing the community and and working with Stanford Cords to to increase our enrollment in the patient registry. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry, Chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Cordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Cordscast.